Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on a Wednesday afternoon edition of The Yard. I had hoped to record earlier today, but I started chasing the day, and we didn't have a lot going on today, so I'm late. So I apologize, but we'll get this up hopefully in time for your drive home and also, too, for your drive to work tomorrow. I know a lot of you guys listen to the show uh, in the morning, so a couple things I want to talk about. You know, I had a discussion with the illustrious hind dog today of Gene's Page fame, uh, we speak every day, talk college football a lot. And sometimes I joke with him. I said, you know, this should be the show. Like, I should just have you on the show sometimes, and we should just kind of talk college football. Maybe someday we will. But there are some discussions that I have with him that uh, I think are relevant that you guys will find very interesting. I want to spend some time talking about that. Because there are a lot of people that are like, hey, you know, we need to run the football more. And I do think when we run it, it's we need to run it to keep the def- defensive unit honest. You know, we don't need to run it just for running it. You know, one of the things that I think about is I read and hear these things. Oh, you know, we check down, check down, check down, check down. You know, how many times when we ran three yards in a cloud of dust did we end up in second long? Second 11, second 12. Oh, then all of a sudden, okay, then we – then we run again or we do a short control pass and now it's third and seven third and eight or whatever you know the thing with this offense when it's working correctly and it has been you know for a couple weeks here you know for the most part we went on first down we got to win on first down you you think well you know if we can get four or five yards on the first down that keeps us on schedule makes us a little less predictable on second down and then it gives you a manageable third down you know, we've been a pretty good third-down team uh, this year. But especially in SEC play, we have been uh, rather rather proficient, I guess. I want to go back to the A&M game, and let's just kind of find this out together. Okay, so our first offensive snap of the game against A&M, this is following, of course, to Fred Peters' interception, is we have a pass play for no yards, which brings up a second 10. What do we do? We immediately convert – make that a uh, first down on uh, on second and 10. We get 13 yards. Then on the next first down, we're complete to Jaquavius Marks for six yards, which brings up a second four. All right, those are the only two uh, first downs on that drive. Let's go down to our next possession, which came at 9.26 to go. We drop back to pass. We give up a one-yard loss on a sack. That puts a second 11, so we're actually behind the change, which is a rarity for us. We get a nice play out to DJ to get a six, bring up a third and five. We hit Polk for 13, brings up another first down. Then we're out to Polk on a bit of a check down for four. We convert later in the drive, brings up a first and 10 at the A&M 45. What do we do? We swing it out to Marks for four yards. And I don't know if you guys have noticed, too, we're not those routes on the checkdowns to the running backs, not what they were earlier in the year. We're kind of running a slant a little more to kind of get those guys into the open field and away from the boundary. Then we run the football and get a first down, brings up a first and 10 if they're 30, and then we go to Malik Heath for 22. First and eight, we run it seven yards. Brings up a second one. Of course, uh, we, we ultimately convert on this drive and score a touchdown. Okay, so we get the ball back again in a second quarter. And again, you know, we're used to the halfback dive, right? Well, let's just run a halfback dive. Let's run off tackle. Let's run a counter here. Maybe we get a yard or two. First and 10, what do we do? 25 yards 
Now it's Jaden Wiley. It sets up another first down at the 50. Then we're complete to DJ for eight, which gives you a second until we convert. Then we run the football on first and 10, get two yards. Brings up, what do you know, an incompletion on second and eight, an incompletion on third and eight, and we attempt field goal. All right, so next possession, we get it at 1031 to go in the half. We're complete to DJ for two, then back to Polk for a first down. Brings up first and 10 at our 30. We check it down to DJ to get four, brings up a manageable, a second and six. And then we're complete to Polk for four on the sideline. So we end up not converting on this drive. But again, a manageable possession. We just didn't execute. Okay, with 2.47 to go, it's a first and 10. We're complete to Jameer Calvin for 23. Brings up another first down. Then we're complete to Polk for seven. Of course, a manageable second down. We convert. Brings up a first and 10. And what do you know? First and 10, we go to uh, Tulu for 23, which makes another first down. And it's 15 yards to Polk for a touchdown. So very proficient there on first down. And, of course, even – what's crazy is even on our little mini possession to close the half, we're complete, first down, we're complete to Makai Polk for 13, which sets up another first down. And then, you know, kind of chaos ensues. We get the false start, which puts us behind the chain. So on in the first half, we only have two first downs that really net us, you know, next to nothing we had the incomplete pass we had the the um we had one run that uh, only got us a couple yards and then of course we have this uh you know penalty to put makes it first and 15. so very proficient on first down in this ball game all right so open the second half on our very first first down we check it down to jaquavius marks who gets a six what do you know it's a manageable second down we convert first and ten we're complete to marks for 12 more what it's first down then we swing it out to Polk. We only get the one. And then ultimately, back-to-back incompletions, we end up punting. But that drive kind of is, again, kind of a microcosm of what the point I'm trying to illustrate here. First and 10, we're incomplete at Jameer Calvin. But we end up, actually, the next play, we get 17 to Tulu, brings up another first down. We find Makai Polk for six, which makes a manageable second down. We convert another first down. Ends up being a first and five. We we swing it out to Wally and just get the one. But second and four, what do you know? We convert again. We run it for three yards then time for to Dylan Johnson. We end up converting on second down. First and ten, we're incomplete. Jimmer Calvin again. Back We go right back and hit Makai Polk for a touchdown. So, again, a little inconsistency, but we're still managing second down pretty well. But, you know, for the most part, we're winning on first down in this ball game. To close out the third quarter – our very first down of this drive with 118 to go in the third is we're complete to Marks for nine yards. Then we run for a first down. Complete to DJ for four to run out the quarter. We get into the fourth quarter. It's a second and six. We end up uh, converting, but there's a holding penalty. And this is when things kind of got chaotic for us. We end up getting the first down on a third and 16 due to a pass incompletion, and then we check it down to Heath, and he's tackled out there in space for no gain. We still are able to convert. On the next first down, we're complete to Austin Williams for six. What do you know? It's another second and medium. There's an incompletion. Then we find Ford. Again, that gives you two shots to get four yards, right? The next first down, we go back to Ford for five. Brings up a second and five. Then we go to Malik Keith. Nice pass breakup there uh, for them. You know, we're playing to win here. That's one thing that I kind of missed in our, our, 
our breakdown earlier this week is we didn't play to you know to not lose. We played to win. And uh, end up getting a sack for a one-yard loss, and then another sack. They take the holding call, backs us up. So we end up – this is that crazy drive where we kind of lost our composure a little bit. The moment may have been a little bit too big for some of our young players. We're able to overcome it. We get the ball back, of course, with 5.39 to go. Really needing to kind of put a drive together to put this thing away. We'll complete the Calvin for three, which brings up a second medium. They break it up and then ultimately convert on third down. We check it down to Marks for three, which brings up a second and seven. We go back to him and then ultimately punt and pin them back deep. And, of course, we have the you know, the big defensive stand there, three consecutive great plays by the defense to basically win the game. And then the final first series, I guess the final first down of the final series, we run the football for four. And by this time, too, you know, we're, 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 we're feeling it a little bit. That's one of the things, too, about, you know, passing as much as we do is you save a little wear and tear on the offensive line. They stay a little fresher longer. We get the big four-yard gain there. And then with the clock running down and one timeout of theirs left to exhaust, Dylan Johnson runs for six to get the final first down in the game to put this thing away. And so I think it's important to understand, you know, this offense, winning on first down makes – second down more manageable and gives you an opportunity to stay out of obvious passing downs even though we we throw it a lot you know we have a little different strategy with every bit of that and so i think it is so important for us because if we went on first down then we can run we can do that short and intermediate passing game just kind of keep moving the sticks and stacking these first downs together whereas in years past you know we go out there and automatically run on first down try to get a controlled pass or another run on second down, and then brings up third down. I mean, how many times have we seen it? Run on first, run on second, and incomplete on third down. We're a lot more unpredictable when we can win on first down. And one of the things that I have heard from some of our folks out in Aggieland is how frustrated Elko and the defensive staff were with us just kind of checking down, working the underneath stuff, and the next thing you know, you can't get off the field. Well, then you get aggressive. It's like, okay, listen, we're, gonna, we're not going to let him just sit back there. We're going to bring the heat. And then they decide to bring five, sometimes six. And next thing you know, we're in man coverage and Makai Polk, Austin Williams is just beating their markers. And so I, I begin what we're beginning to see here is we're beginning to see this offense mature. You're beginning to see some of your younger players kind of get it, kind of understand things. And I just, I just kind of wanted to point that out. That it's, So it's not as, hey, let's just go run off tackle here. Maybe we can get a yard. Next thing you know, we're second nine, second ten. So that's going to happen when you have, you know, a defensive player and incompletion. But more times than not, and you saw it in the A&M game, we just recapped it. When we win on first down, that ultimately prevents three and outs. You know how many three and outs we had against A&M? Zero. Zero. So everything in many respects is kind of predicated on third, on first down to keep you out of you know, third and 12, third and 13, things like that. And how often do you see that? I mean, minus a penalty, we are rarely ever behind the chains on third down. It rarely ever happens. And you begin to look at this, you start thinking, if we can swing the ball out in space, we're not expecting that check down to break. That's not what we're looking to do. It's not like we expect that to go for a touchdown. You know, we're trying to put ourselves in a situation to move the chains. So you swing it out there, and you get four or five yards on first down. Next thing you know, 
you get two cracks and get five or six more and get another first down. And so I hope that makes a little more sense because I read this stuff, oh, we need to run the football more. Guys, we're going to run to kind of set up the pass. We're going to run when the defense gives it to us, kind of like against LSU. You know, LSU was working with a three-man front, and then the linebackers were all bailing out. And so really all we had to do was get one big block. And next thing you know, it's four or five yards. So we did that. Now, A&M was a lot different. A&M didn't run a true three-man front. I mentioned that on Monday. Yeah, there's three down linemen, but they're walking up a couple guys. They're walking up an edge defender and or a backer or two. And so in some respects, you're kind of seeing a five- and six-man front. It's basically a bare front. And so it's more difficult to run against that. But what that does do is open up more in the intermediate passing game. And people say, oh, you know, we're, we're throwing the ball down the field more. Well, yeah, we are. But a lot of that's kind of dictated on how the defense is trying to attack us. LSU stays back. We run the football. A&M plays up. We throw the football behind them. And so there is an answer to everything. It's just a matter of executing. Speaking of execution, there's nobody executing hamburgers better right now than Bulldog Burger Company. You know exactly where I'm going with that. Listen, you need to go enjoy yourself. You work hard. You put up a lot of nonsense. Sometimes you just need some time away. Sometimes you want to save mom or save yourself from, you know what, sitting down, having to go, you know, we got to get off work, find something to eat, go cook it. Next thing you know, it's, you know, by the time you help with homework, it's 9 o'clock, you're time to go to bed. Rather than give that time away, maybe save yourself some time, spend some family time. Spend some alone time with the people you care about at Bulldog Burger Company. Three great locations to serve you. University Drive here in Start Vegas, that's a flagship. Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, and then the brand new one. Run by my friend Ian Few down there on Lake Harbor Drive in the Flowood area. You'll enjoy that. It's a great place. Great location. That's one thing that I'll say. You know, sometimes people will put their name on anything, right? Not Bulldog Burger Company. They always have great locations. They always do. These people are part of the Eat With Us restaurant group. They know how to feed folks. Let them feed you. Go see them today. Have the spring rolls and get that chocolate shake to go. You'll be glad you did. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, I want to, first of all, I want to congratulate everybody that makes the Mississippi-Alabama roster. I want to spend some time talking about that, and then we're going to talk a little bit about, uh, you know, what to expect the rest of the Bulldog season. It's time for us to kind of take a, kind of a mid-season inventory. But uh, I don't know if you guys have kept up with this. I, I'm a huge fan of the Mississippi-Alabama All-Star Game. Now, they call it the Alabama-Mississippi All-Star Game, but they're wrong. They're wrong. It's the Miss-Owl game. We call it that for a reason. The Owl-Miss game just doesn't make any sense. All right, so let's run down who made the list and kind of what their connections are. Maybe you'll be familiar with that. All right, Cabe Barnett, uh, quarterback out of Oak Grove. He makes it, 6'3", 186. Zach Wilkie out of Hernando, uh, Southern Miss commitment, if memory serves me correct. Branson Robinson, the top player in the state this year at a Germantown, committed to the University of Georgia. Really like him a lot. Mississippi State was in the game with him early on. His recruitment exploded. And that's the thing, too. It's like, you know, with a lot of the backs that these days, we're going to have to kind of get a specialized back. You know, a guy that can carry it and catch it. Not to say that Branson can't, but, you know, these are a lot of guys that want to go carry it 25 times a game. He kind of matches that Georgia power running game. So it's not necessarily anybody's fault. It's a thing that always people, oh, you know, we, we, we got to keep those kids in state. You know, sometimes if you get a chance to go play for a national championship, 
in an offensive system that fits your skill set, maybe better than what's available to you in state, you're going to go do that. Uh, Cameron Young, running back out of West Point, also makes it. Uh, Kenyon Clay out of Union High School, I've met him, really like him a lot. He is also committed to Southern Miss, and I think he'll do a good job there. A good job of recruiting by Will Hall and Reed Stringer and the staff down there. You know, these are the kinds of guys that Jeff Bauer built the program on. Uh, Blake Gunner from Madison Central thought he may be an Ole Miss guy early on. They, um, they didn't do much with him. Uh, but, you know, he's a guy, too, that's certainly a Division I prospect. Colton DeShazo out of DeIberville, a tight end H-back type guy. Don't know much about him, but congratulations to you and your family. Janoris Hobson, Mississippi State commitment. Janoris Hobson, wide receiver out of Horn Lake. Big fan of him. I have him ranked as the number two receiver in the state of Mississippi this year. Behind the next guy on the list, Larry Simmons of Moss Point, currently committed to Ole Miss. He, you know, he surprised everybody when he committed, not just who he committed to, but when he committed. Now, he has continued to take some campus visits to Mississippi State. I am told by my sources down at the Gulf Coast not to really expect any drama from him. He may take a visit or two, but unless LSU gets real serious about him, he's headed to Ole Miss. He's been committed to them for a while. And even though he's taken in a few trips, he's never really sat or done anything to suggest that his uh, recruitment is still going to be open. Uh, Jerry Johnson out of Pearl State has recruited him a little bit, 5'9", 170. I really like him more as a defensive back, but I understand he wants to have the ball in his hands. He's going to make a really good player for somebody. I just I think it'll be at the G5 level. Jeremiah Dillon from Towertown. This is a guy, too, man. He's got a lot, a lot of things working for him. Really fast guy, long. Jordan Anthony from Towertown, kind of the same thing. You hear all these skilled guys down at a classification like Towertown's working with, and you begin to wonder, man, how does anybody compete against those guys? Uh, Kevin Miller, offensive lineman for Coach Josh Morgan there at Warren Central High School. Stratton Smith out of Oxford High School, 6'2", 285. Uh, Claybron Pollard out of Oak Grove. That's a guy that State did some work with back in the spring. You kind of kind of kicked the tires just a little bit with him. Not much has really happened. The top offensive line prospect in the State, Bryson Hurst out of Gautier, uh, committed to Ole Miss. And I'll be honest with you, watching his senior film, he's not really shown the explosiveness that he did last year as a junior. That happens sometimes with seniors. I still think that he is a guy that will be a really good SEC player. He's a guy that can kind of anchor your offensive line. Would have been great for Mississippi State to get him. Uh, Dasmond Galloway out of Madison Central, 6'3", 300-pounder. I have seen some MC tape. I haven't watched him specifically. Uh, but that's another guy, too, you look at. So that's college size right there. Uh, Zerlin Hudson out of Brookhaven. I've actually heard about him. Had a couple people tell me he might be able to be a guy that could play on the interior on the both offensive and defensive line, 6'3", 330 Kind of difficult to move a guy like that. Dontavius Bell from Warren Central, 6'4", 315. Coach Morgan actually told me about him last year. Thought he had a chance to play uh, on the Division I level and certainly has Division I size. Uh, Marlick Fleming from Holmes County Central. Coach Rogers and his staff doing a great job there producing prospects. Of course, you had Lexington McLean. Those schools kind of combined up there. But, um, you know, like what we're hearing out of that program, consistently – have players there. Wasn't always the case. Uh, Jaheem Otis from Columbia High School. That's right, the Columbia High School. It's where I went to high school. It's where Walter Payton went to high school. It's where current Bulldog Fred Peters went to high school. A lot of good things from Columbia High School. So Jaheem Otis, a guy that's committed to Alabama but still flirting regularly with Mississippi State. We expect to get an official visit out of him. See how things progress with him. 
uh, Chip Bilderback doing a great job at my alma mater. Really, really proud of the Wildcats. Expecting to win a state championship this year. Probably should have won it last year, but I give uh, McGee all the credit, man. They beat us in the South State Championship in the slop. They found a way to win. We didn't, so congratulations to those guys. Jacarius Clayton, former Mississippi State commitment, now an Ole Miss commitment out of Tupelo. Really like him a lot. I don't think he is a defensive lineman. I know he wants to play defensive line. He's 6'6", 280. I just don't know how you get pad level at that, at, that, that, at that effort. You know, I just don't think that's the case. I think he will probably eventually switch the offensive line and probably play football for a while. Kind of feel the same way about Xavier Harris at Germantown. 6'7", 365. Now, that's a guy, obviously, if he can get good pad level, which is difficult to do at 6'7", that guy's a load in the middle. Got to plays hard, too. Was a Mississippi State lean out of nowhere committed to Ole Miss. And you know what? Great job recruiting them guys. I think you got a great player. Aaron Bryant out of South Haven committed to Texas. I, I think that if, if you really break this thing down, this is a guy that's probably undervalued. It's a prospect. You can say, well, Steve, he's got a bunch of Power 5 offers. That's true. But I don't know that maybe I, that I expected him to become what he has become. I like this film a lot. But his recruitment, you know, his kind of got going. But I don't know that he's really – ranked appropriately and he's a guy that you could probably see kind of move up once we have these you know Mississippi Alabama all-star practices I think he is probably on the recruiting ranking watch list Jeremy Jackson out of Pearl 511 290 RJ Moss Mississippi State commitment out of Biloxi 64255 I think he is going to be a 290 300 pounder when it's all said and done I think he will slide inside and play with, you know, in a four-point stance once he gets to Mississippi State. Really like him a lot. Trevion Williams from Crystal Springs, 6'5", 252. Some people had him considered a linebacker. This is a guy that's probably going to be a five technique, I think. He might even slide inside. At 6'5", he is going to carry a lot of weight. But it's not going to hurt his mobility or his dexterity. I really like him a lot. I think he's got a chance to do some big things. Uh, Jackie on Cunningham out of West Point, 6'1", 203 linebacker. Jahari Griffin out on Neshoba Central. And that's a program that has consistently put some players out there on the next level, too. You know, Jarquez Hunter running back at Auburn, just absolutely killing the game over there. Zai Ford from East Webster had a chance to meet him. They have him listed at 6'1". I think he's closer to six feet. This is a kid has got a ton of G5 offers. I mean, an absolute ton. And he will hit you. He will absolutely change your all for you. There's a lot of there's a lot of players out there that play big, that are big. This is a guy that plays bigger than he's listed. I really like him a lot. He plays for Coach Ron Price there at East Webster. Uh, known Ron a long time, a great coach. Not the least bit surprised to see East Webster starting to churn out some prospects on a little more regular basis. Uh, Mario Wilburn out of Lafayette, plays for Coach Michael Fair. Saw him play last year against Moorville. A guy, a guy that's probably going to play his way into some bigger things a little bit later. Khalid Moore, Mississippi State commitment from Poplarville, 6'2", 210. No surprise to see him on the list. Really like him a lot. You begin to kind of run down the backers in this class. You know, he and Stone Blanton are, are the two in the state of Mississippi this year that, that are really, really SEC players that I expect to be SEC starters. Some other guys might make a roster at some point, but uh, really like – uh, Khalid Moore, and since he's committed, he has not been involved in any drama. He and his family lock, stock, and barrel with the Bulldogs. All right, Marquez Dorch 
committed to Ole Miss out of George County. They've got him listed at 6'1", 170. That's probably a little bit heavy and tall. Guy really wants to play wide receiver. He's committed to Ole Miss essentially as an athlete, but I understand they're recruiting him some as a DB. He's also flirted with Mississippi State a little bit. Also really close to MJ Daniels. I'll be very surprised if anything changes uh, with him. Mississippi State commitment, Trent Singleton. Out of Raymond High School, plays for Coach Michael Fields down there. Really like him a lot, too. He can play a number of positions. Going to play DB in this game. I expect him to be a safety once he gets here to Mississippi State. Really like him, his attitude. This is a guy that wanted to go through the process and just kind of be sure of his decision. And since that time, he has been busy recruiting for Mississippi State. Malcolm Hardzog out of Jeff Davis County for the Coach Lance Mancuso. That's the former Bassfield High School. They have consolidated with Prentice. So it's now Jeff Davis County, as if Bassfield needed to be any stronger. Mancuso has that thing rolling down there. Now you've got the benefit of a you know, a bigger student body to pull from. Ricky Fletcher, also from Holmes County uh, Central, committed to South Alabama. Played some corner at one of our camps. I thought he really stood out. 6'3", 180, that long, lean defensive back. It's pretty quick twitch. I won't be the least bit surprised if he plays his way into a Power 5 offer. I really like his film. Uh, Cameron Knox, who all believe I'm a big fan of his too. Uh, six foot, 193. He's a guy that plays receiver and safety. I like this wide receiver film, but I think he's probably a guy that just kind of, you know, can kind of get in where he fits in. Wherever you have a need, you can plug him in. Great young man. Really, really excited about his future. State has flirted with him a little bit. He came to camp, no offer. Uh, Cedric Beavers out of Taylorsville, 5'10", 165-pound uh, defensive back there. Haven't seen Taylorsville play this year, but I know the brand of football that they have played there in years past. My my cousin Chuck Robertson uh, was the coach a couple years ago when they won the state championship. So I know the, the caliber of athlete down there for the Tartars. Uh, Gabe Showalter out of St. Martin, the kicker. Had a couple people send me his stuff saying, hey, Mississippi State needs to take a look at him maybe as a walk-on. Alex Rogier from Oak Grove, the long snapper, playing for Coach Drew Causey there uh, with the Warriors. And then Kamari Rogers makes the team, but, of course, he has the uh, – torn ACL so he's still on the roster so he'll get to go enjoy the uh, the process but uh, will not play in the ball game and wish him uh, a speedy recovery you know to say the least really think a lot of uh, of Kamari and his coaches his uh, his dad has always been a wealth of information not just about his players but about other players you know like if he plays against somebody he doesn't mind sending you a text and saying hey this kid can really play. Or you call him and say, hey, coach, if you see anybody out there you think up is coming up up, up the, ra- the the rankings here in, in the next few years. So uh, Mississippi State also has Don Terry Russell make the Bernard Blackwell game. That's the north-south game. And so immediately people say, hey, what, what does that mean he's overrated? No, that's not what it means at all. I really like him a lot. I think he's going to be a big-time player for us at Mississippi State. You will see how things progress with him. But, you know, if we're going to start – evaluating kids just based on who makes an all-star roster. What kind of This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. 
Granger, for the ones who get it done. Kidding ourselves. There are a lot of very talented players. I remind you, Dante Moncrief did not make the Mississippi Alabama All-Star game. There's a lot of guys. You've gone on a great college careers. But here's the deal. I want to go win the game. And sometimes, you know, there are some of these, you know, like there's I pick you is a good example. You know, for years and years and years, you know, pick you and even West Point, you know, those guys will get downhill on you in a hurry. If you ever get behind in those ball games, they've got some of those offensive linemen that maybe they're not, you know, college football prospects. But they are absolutely great high school players. And so we want to go win the game, and sometimes that means you might take a guy that just simply fits the scheme you're going to run in an all-star game. Yeah, and there's a lot of those guys, too, that you know, need a little, a little opportunity to prove themselves. And so I don't ever think negatively of a guy just because he doesn't make the miss out game. There's also a lot of coaches. You know, a lot of coaches say, hey, I love this kid. Uh, you know, I want him to be in the game. Maybe if they're, if they're coaching in the game, maybe there's some uh, – I hate to call it political, but it's like if I'm going to go coach in the game – I at least want one of my kids to play in it, if at all possible. And so sometimes that happens. And so this could be a springboard for a young man like that. You remember we had a guy by the name of Tevez Calhoun that many of you had never heard of. I went and watched Tevez play against uh, Neshoba Central High School. Was it Neshoba? Maybe it was Ch- – either way. I went and watched them play on a Thursday night. Went to go watch Coy Evans play. Tevez set out the first half. And uh, they get behind in the ball game, and then Tavez suits up at halftime, and then takes over the game, and they they win going away. Well, I knew about Tavez Calhoun. I'd heard about him from a lot of people in the area. Well, then he goes to the Mississippi Alabama All Star game and wins the MVP. And then Mississippi State offered him, and he comes to Mississippi State and was a starting corner on our team that went to number one in the country. Might have been the biggest, toughest kid pound for pound on that team. And that's saying an awful lot. You remember the big suplex, right? I mean, this is what he did. I mean, the guy was incredibly strong. And uh, coaching high school football now, doing a great job. So there, there's an opportunity for some guys that maybe they will play their way into Division One opportunities, and then there are some Division One guys that perhaps will play their way into some Power 5 opportunities because there's always some late bloomers. And you like to have a scholarship or two left late. And that worked out for us then. So I wanted to go over that again and just kind of congratulate those that made the team and also offer a little bit of evaluation of kind of what I think is available out there. Uh, it is a good year in the state. It's a lot better than it was last year. It is a really good year in the state. And I think what's going to happen, too, is you're going to see some guys kind of play their way into some opportunities. There's going to be some high school guys that get offers from, say, State or Ole Miss. You know, or others late, and people are going to be like, oh, well, where'd this guy come from? Well, it's not going to be some big surprise. There are a lot of guys out there with that sort of ability. And I think Mississippi State, in the end, will end up taking some guys late. A lot of people have asked about Davis Dalton from MRA. I'm a Davis Dalton fan. I have been from the beginning. Last year, one of my good friends, uh, actually, that, that advertises on this show, Blair Chandler, reached out to me after uh, – Davis had the big game against, what, Trinity last year in, in week one. And he goes, hey, this kid can really play. And so I go watch the film of that game. I'm like, hey, I agree. And so he's kind of been on the radar for a while. Some people say, well, Steve, do you think State will offer? If they do, I think it comes late. And he's a guy that's committed to Southern Miss. He grew up a Mississippi State guy. 
and know that he would love to come here. You can't necessarily take him for granted. If you want him, you got to go get him. But I ask myself sometimes, you know, could he be Austin Williams in this offense? And I'd say absolutely he can. And I think it's pretty clear that Austin Williams has a role in this scheme. Very dependable guy, good possession guy on third down. Let's be honest, we don't do a ton of vertical in this offense. That's, that's a byproduct of the way that teams play us defensively. And so you expect that to continue. You're not going to see a ton of man coverage. But I think the kid could play here. Do you go off him today? No, probably not. Do you continue to monitor him? Yeah, you do. And when you get into, you know, November, you get into early December and you take an inventory, so you know what, this is a guy that really wants to be here. This is a guy that can help us. And so I'm not saying you make the decision today, but I will not be the least bit surprised if that happens later. You always got to be – you know, willing to be a little flexible in your evaluation. There are a lot of times, you know, you get, and it happens in our industry a lot. I used to deal with it all the time. We had those conference call, calls with, you know, people at scout.com, and then, you know, it's like, hey, I don't really like this kid. Well, when's the last time you saw him? Oh, I watched film back in the spring. Have you seen his senior film? Kid's really good. He's cut a couple tents off his 40, added about 10, 15 pounds of mass, catching everything, throwing his direction, you know, and so you can't be so stubborn that you miss on a good player because of something, maybe a snap judgment you made earlier in the process. That's the thing about college coaches. It's like there is always this continuing evaluation process. You've got a lot of people now working off the field that are continuing to kind of monitor these guys and evaluate them and cutting up film. So it's a lot harder for guys to maybe fly under the radar. So we'll see what happens. But I like Davis Dalton. And uh, if it doesn't work out, I'll pull for him at Southern Miss. Then the kid can really play. I really do. And I've had a lot of people reach out to me and say, Steve, this guy is really, really good. And you know what? You're absolutely right. He is. He came to Mississippi State's camp. I want to say he ran, you know, four sevens, low four eights. You know, and, that, and that's the thing you look at in this league. You'd say, you know what? Nah, I got to have guys at least running four six, four fives. Love to have some four fours. Not as many of those guys out there as you might think, no matter what they put in their Twitter bio. But in this scheme, the way that we're running things, you need guys that are smart that can uncover and do some things after the catch. I think Davis Dalton can do all those things. So there you go. Let's get into today's top ten list. Brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. That's CloseWithBlair, B-L-A-I-R. And here's the deal, too. We've talked about, listen, if you want to buy a new home, and maybe you're underprepared for that. Maybe you don't even know how to go about the process. Blair's got to talk to, for sure. But I want to share a couple of things with you, too. You know, we, he and I have spoke recently. You know, rates are not going to stay low. In this economy and all the things that we're dealing with right now, there, there's going to be some adjustments. There's, there's no doubt about it. There's going to be adjustments. So if you've been thinking about refi, maybe you need some cash out to put a pool in. Maybe you've got some college expenses. Maybe you've got all kinds of things going on. Use the equity in your home to help it work for you. And here's the deal, too. Because of the fact that Blair loves Mississippi State, loves Mississippi State fans, and loves Boneyard listeners, who are the best of Mississippi State fans, he's going to give you a little bit of some help here. Whether it be in a, a purchase or a refi, a second loan, you're going, to, you're going to have to have an appraisal. Those costs have gone up. And so to kind of offset some of your expenses – if you mention to Blair that you have heard about him on the boneyard, he's going to pay for your appraisal. That used to be a $300 value. It's gone up between five and $600 because everybody's taking advantage of lower rates. 
trying to say, hey, let me get out of this 30-year mortgage and get into a shorter term. So that could be you. So we're really pushing refis now before it kind of begins to be a bigger issue. Go ahead and jump in now because you know how it is if you move, you got to move. But a lot of people don't plan ahead and say, you know what, I'm in my home. I've got all these extra expenditures, expenditures I've got to deal with. And maybe I could consolidate some debt and put myself into a situation where that interest is now deductible rather than just simply paying it revolving debt or installment loans to people that uh, you know, I'm just basically paying the debt to pay the debt. It also gets you out of PMI insurance. If you bought a house and maybe you, you didn't have 20% equity or a down payment of that, that type, you're probably paying PMI insurance, which is an absolute racket. Get out of that. Let Blair help you. Close at Blair.com. Be sure to let them know. You heard about it on the boneyard to get your free appraisal. All right, we're going non-point today. Now, I have been a non-point fan since the very beginning. I have watched the evolution of this band. You say, well, Steve, I've never heard non-point. You're wrong. Because the intro to this show used to be a non-point song, and it's actually on our list today. One day, I could probably put a top 10 list together of the soundtrack of the Boneyard, because I've had you know, 10 or more songs, either as the intro or the outro. But uh, So yeah, you've heard Nonpoint before, and one song that didn't make the list that uh, I, I could have made an exception for, because I know you've all have heard it, but it's Nonpoint's cover of the Phil Collins classic, In the Air Tonight. They do a phenomenal job. And listen, I'm one of those kind of people to listen, I guess I'm an old guy, I don't want you getting on my lawn, that kind of stuff. But here's the deal, there are some songs out there I think you just don't mess with, and that was kind of one of them. When I heard they were covering it, I was like, I don't know. But they kill it. And so it didn't make the list. And maybe we can talk Roy into adding it to the Spotify list today. Because I know you guys dig it. I listen to it all the time. I sing it sometimes. Because I love it so much. And it has the, uh, it doesn't build the same way the original one does. I just got a couple of big, you know, that, that drum explosion. It's in there twice. So check that out. The cover of Phil Collins in the air tonight. But here is your top ten. And so... When Nonpoint first got started, they were kind of like 311 a little bit. I know many of you guys are familiar with 311. They were kind of a harder version of 311. So they had some of those same elements, you know, kind of some reggae at times and you know, some rap type stuff too. They were, they, they, I wouldn't necessarily say they were new metal, but they were kind of in the same vein of 311 when they got started. And so you go back, these first couple of songs are, are from that era in many respects. Number 10 is The Truth. Great track. It's, uh, again, many of you that maybe even know Nonpoint aren't quite as familiar with that one. That goes back a ways. Number nine off the very first album that dropped in 1999. Here we are all these years later. Nonpoint's still on radio. Mind Trip. And that definitely sounds kind of like in a 311 vein. I think you'll enjoy that track. But from here on out, it gets a little bit heavier, as well it should. I have met these guys and uh, I've had multiple conversations with Elias Soriano, who is the singer from Nonpoint, who is one of the more down-to-earth rock stars. I mentioned him and, and LeJean Witherspoon. Both those guys have dreads, and so maybe, maybe that's why I think that. But every conversation that I've had with Elias Soriano, I, had, I, I met with him at the, the Hideaway in Jackson, saw him out in Rocklahoma. And uh, every time that I'm around the guy, it's like he's always so eager to talk music. He'll tell you the stories behind the songs. Number eight, one of the shorter songs in the catalog that just hits right out of the gate. And let me be honest with you, the lyrics of this one are a little bit explicit, so maybe you don't listen to it with the kids in the car. But this is one that kind of gets my blood racing, man. I love this song. 
It's called I said it. Uh, I'm, I'm admitting that I said it. I don't regret it. You know, and so this is one of those in-your-face songs. It's like, oh, did you really say this about me? Yeah, I absolutely did. Now, what are you going to do about it? Besides stand there and give me a hard look. So it's really one. It's really aggressive. It's really in your face. I think you'll dig it. Number seven, going back to, this is when the band really kind of began to change. They've had some different guitar players. And, uh, and so sometimes that influence is kind of heard in these albums. But um, what a day. And this is one of those songs, too, that's kind of like tells you a story. You know, there are a lot of them that just, you know, they have all these cryptic lyrics and you don't really know what's going on. This one kind of tells you a story about Elias's day. And he tells me it's a true story. So, based on a true story. I'm sure he took some liberties with it. Number six, off the self-titled album, which I think is actually the best non-point album. There are a lot of people that will argue with you this and say, you know what? No, Steve, it's going to be To the Pain or Recoil. I don't know that I agree with that. I think it's the self-titled album. I love that album. Pandora's Box and The Way I See Things were never singles. They're on that album. There's probably five or six songs on that self-titled album that could have been singles, and a handful of them were. But it's left for you. And one of the things I dig about this one is, um, you know, it's kind of a breakup song, and it's like, hey, you know, here's the deal. There's nothing left for you here. So if you want to come back later – you know, we, we might be friends or whatever. I might be able to, to you know, give you a supporting word. But uh, there's, there's no home for you here anymore. And I love the tempo change later in the song. There's so many times it's kind of predictable. You're like, oh, I know what's going to happen. But they, they kind of pick up the tone a little bit late, kind of pick up the rhythm. The timing changes. It's a great tune. Number five, there have been times this has been my favorite nonpoint song. And it's alive and kicking. And, uh, the, you know, if I, I'm not a guy that gets lyrics tattooed very often. I've only got one, and that's uh, you know, from Chris Cornell from, from Fellow in Black Days. But if I was to ever get some lyrics uh, tattooed on me from Nonpoint, this is what they would be. You have to forgive me a little bit. I had to look them up because I want to make sure I get them right. I was about to say them, and I was like, I don't know if this is right. But I'm stronger now even after everything that you did. I'm still alive and kicking. I'm better now. I'm awake. Now I can see everything in front of me. In front of me. Pardon me. So I'm still messing up. You know, look it up. There you go. Alive and kicking. I love how they open up with that, uh, that bass riff to open the track. It's, uh, it's an absolute killer. It's a song of, uh, of, you know, kind of inspiration in many respects. All right, number four on the list, a song that Elias Soriano tells me that he wrote about a former ex-girlfriend. It's a song called That Day. I remember that day when everything changed. That image never fades away. It's a killer track. At some point, we've all been there. We've all felt that. I think you'll enjoy that one a lot. That's also off the uh, the self-titled album. Number three, they always close the show with this one. I'm, I'm almost positive about that. And this is one of those songs, like if you ever go to a non-point show, like maybe they're opening for somebody that, uh, that you're excited about, and you've never heard of Nonpoint, this is the one that sends the Coliseum or the club into absolute orbit. And it's called Bullet with a Name on It. I got a bullet with a name on it. I love that song. I love the opening riff. I like how it just kind of reaches out and grabs you and just kind of pumps you up a little bit. I know that you'll dig that one. Number two, and this was the former, former intro to this show. It's breaking skin till you feel the skin break. It's actually a song about addiction. 
And uh, there's a video out there, and I talked about this recently on the show. There's a video out there that kind of talks a little about methamphetamine abuse and that sort of stuff, kind of urging people. It's like it's not the same drugs you're used to. They're changing. They're getting more toxic. They're killing people. And so that's really what it's about. It's about Jones and having those incredible cravings. And uh, so they wrote a song about it. It's not long enough. That's one thing I'll say. I dig the song, and I love the guitar riff. I wish it was longer. It's one of those songs you just don't want to end. But number one, number one, and I know you guys uh, are pretty excited about this one, right? Many of you, if you know Nine Point, you probably know what it is. It's the song Miracle. Absolutely love it. This album was uh, produced by another name in uh, modern heavy music, and that's Chad Gray from Mudvayne and Hell Yeah. Mudvayne kind of reuniting while Hell Yeah kind of figures out what they do in the wake of Vinnie Paul's uh, untimely death. But uh, Chad actually sings on this track too later. He's the second voice late in the uh, third chorus. But it's Miracle. You need a miracle. It's great. It's one of those songs too. It's about, you know what? You're coming at me. You think you're going to win. You're wrong. You're going to need some uh, some intervention to win. So that's your top 10 nine-point songs. I really dig them. I think you will dig them too. If you don't know nine-point, I suggest you listen to them. And again, this list very diverse. You know, you kind of see kind of the evolution of the band. They start out kind of 311-ish, and then they get a little bit heavier. And, you know, when BC joined the band from My Empire here a few years ago, they had Chaos and Earthquakes and... Uh, a few other ones, and um, the Poison Red album. And so now BC is retired, just can't physically do it anymore on the road. He's a younger guy, too. Just hadn't really taken care of himself. Met him. He's a great guy, too. But uh, So been a little bit heavier the last couple albums, but I think you'll find that that sweet spot. You'll find something in Nine Point Catalog you really dig. So there you go. Nine Point Top Ten. If you have ideas for the Top Ten, reach out and let me know. I'm happy to do them. Roy will put them on a list. All forms of social media at Scout Steve R. All right, next segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmart. That's right, campusbookmart.net, your one-stop shop for Mississippi State merchandise. If you can't come to town, that's where you should visit them at campusbookmart.net. Maybe you live out of state, maybe it's difficult to get to a game, but you still want to support a Stark villain business. You can do that by going to campusbookmark.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll save you a little cash just for making the trip over on the interwebs. Use promo code BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And I'm not joking. It's exactly what it stands for. You think it's a game. It's not. That'll get you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. And let's be honest, Christmas time is coming up. You want to save some money wherever you can. Get some Mississippi State merch from a Starkville business, and we'll reward you a little bit. How about that? If you're in town, go by and see Standing Man, Miss Kathy Brown, Miss Pam, Candy, everybody. Everybody up there is great. They'll treat you great, too. They'll treat you like family because in their minds you are. Again, that's campusbookmart.net, promo code BSR. Okay, so when we started this whole thing, this football thing this year, I said that I believed that 7-5 and five was probably the over-under. Had a good chance to be 7-5. and five. You think, okay, well, that gives us a game to work with. We end up dropping one we shouldn't. You know, we're still bowl eligible. Guys, I think at this point, after the win this past Saturday, a game that many people expected us to lose, I think there is a lot more hope and belief in Starkville and in the Mississippi State fan base. Because, like, you know what? Hey, we knew it wasn't going to be a great year. And then we dropped that game to Memphis. And you're like, oh, man, we had no margin for error. Now we've really put our backs against the wall. Well, now we're kind of back on schedule. 
And that's not to say that we shouldn't be 5-0. We should be. But we're not. We're 3-2. and So we got to find three wins somewhere to achieve bowl eligibility. And right now, I know some of you are like, your, your head is spinning. We should want more than just be bowl eligible. You're absolutely right. But considering that we went 4-7 and seven last year against an all-SEC schedule and then won a bowl game, you know, this is a step in the right direction. We had, but we have been trending in a negative direction since Dan Mullen left. Can we all agree on that? Right? Like him or not, we have been going in the wrong direction since Dan Mullen left. Now, Dan's got his own problems now. Dan might be wishing he stayed at Mississippi State. But Dan leaves following the 17 season. We go 8-4 and four and 18 with a national championship caliber defense. We go 6-7 and seven and 19 and then 4-7 and seven and 20. And so, yeah, we had gone down two wins a season three consecutive years. And so now we're beginning to trend back up. And so that was kind of the hope considering this young nucleus on offense. It's like last year we kind of got our feet wet. This year we're taking some steps forward. Got a chance to be a really good football team in 2022. I think if we're all honest with ourselves, probably our goals heading into 2021, have a winning season, get the egg back, go win a bowl game. Right? That that's you know, whether it be the Liberty Bowl, the Music City Bowl, whatever bowl, we just need to have that additional, you know, practice sessions for bowl practice and then have some juice heading into the offseason. Say, hey, you know, we won two bowl games in a row. Been to a bunch of them in a row. And so then again, that again, that is a step forward in the redevelopment of this program. I hate to call it a rebuild. It wasn't a rebuild when Joe got here, it was when he left. And I, listen, I like Joe a lot. Just didn't work out for us. You know, and I think in many respects, you know, he came in and said, hey, you know, you guys never did this, never did that. And it's true. But we had some growing pains, and then we had to kind of rectify the fact that, you know, things weren't going the way they should. And so a lot of people say, well, you know, this is year two, and, you know, you know blah, blah, blah. You, know, you can't even really count last year. You know, other than the fact that you got some, got some reps for some guys, you know. But so – Again, we get bowl eligible this year. And I'm, I listen, I'm not satisfied to go into the Dead Gum Liberty Bowl or Independence Bowl every year. I want to get back to Atlanta at some point. And the, you know, we're not going to get there this year, you know, barring something totally unforeseen, something historic. But the reality of it is, it's okay, let's, let's get back, let's earn our way back into a bowl game and kind of begin trending in a positive direction again. And so that's a natural step in that process let's win you know six seven eight regular season games go win a ball game and then next year i think you've got a chance with the fact that marks and rogers and wally and dylan johnson those guys are all this the, your core group will all be juniors and seniors next year makes perfect sense to me okay so let's look at the schedule what's left now it's incredible the difference that a win makes like we just saw in A&M. I, as I mentioned, many of you expected to lose. I was, I think, the only person in the media uh, that picked us to win, in the print media. I think Haydad picked us to win, too. But we were kind of the, the, the last of the Mohicans. You know, I'm not, no, no, Mississippi State's got something to show me. No. Well, first of all, Mississippi State did not show you anything. Period. Period. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what I think. Doesn't matter what they think. But this is a game that we won. And one of the reasons it was – there's a lot of reasons it was important. Number one, it's an SEC road win and one step closer to bowl eligibility. It's a game you weren't expected to win by many. But it also gives you a win headed into the bye week. 
which gives everybody a chance to kind of take a little bit of a deep breath. Not to say that we let up on the gas any, but now all of a sudden you don't have this dark cloud hanging over your head. You're two and three with Alabama coming to town, and everybody's accepting that as a sure loss. And why wouldn't they? We hadn't won since 2008. Dan Mullen couldn't beat him, one of the greatest coaches in our history. You know, so there's nothing out there that would suggest, hey, State's capable of pulling a major upset here. And so I hope we can go out there and compete a little bit, but I don't expect us to win that game, and I don't think anybody else does either. It's just, that's the thing about playing Alabama. You don't enjoy playing them. You just kind of endure it. You know, they're just at a different level. But if we had lost last week and then we knew we had a sheer loss coming, you start thinking, you know, we're two, we're two and four. We haven't even played the game yet. Two and four at the halfway mark, which means you got to win four of the last six to get bowl eligible. Well, now you're looking at three and three. So now you've got a little more room to work with, and you've got some winnable games down the stretch. And I, I'm a competitor, and I hate to sit here and say, hey, we're going to lose Alabama, but I believe we're going to lose Alabama, right? You'd like to see us play a little more competitive than we did last year. But the reality of it is, is they're at a different level than us right now. And maybe, you know, sometime in the years ahead, we can get there. We're not there yet. i tell you, another thing I, would, I, I kind of stumbled upon, too, you know, I had one of my conversations with uh, the illustrious hind dog. And I, don't, I shared this with Bo Bounds earlier today, too. I don't know that people appreciate this. This is a stat, too, from last year's Texas A&M game. I don't know. Many of you are going to be surprised by this. I don't know if you know this. Last year against Texas A&M, you know, Will Rogers came in relief of K.J. Costello. Will Rogers was 15 of 18 for 120 yards and a touchdown and took one sack. We gave up six sacks on the day. And it's so interesting, too. Like, the A&M people were like, I don't understand. We ran over him last year. Well, you had James Jackson play in center last year, and he didn't know how to call the protections. That's inside information that other people in the media just simply don't have. So in the second half of that ball game, we put Cole Smith in at left guard so Cole could call the protections. And so, yeah, the reason it was a jailbreak, I mean, not to mention A&M had some war daddies on the defensive line. Not that they don't this year, but there was something a little more to that. There were some things that we didn't do. It wasn't just they were better. You know, we've improved our personnel. But at the same time, too, you know, Will Rogers played well against A&M last year. And so it shouldn't just be some huge surprise – that Will Rogers comes out and has a good game against A&M. And the fact that A&M wasn't better prepared for that, I think says a lot about maybe that staff. Okay, so let's just go ahead and skip Alabama. Okay, let's go ahead and call that a loss, right? I don't think I'll get any dissenting opinions there. I hate to feel that way, but that's the reality of life. So then we're 3-3. Three and three. We'll make a road trip to Nashville. We should be able to out-athlete them. That's not to say that you know, I don't think they'll come out and play hard. I'm sure they will. I just don't think they've got the dudes to run with us. So I'm going to go ahead and count that as a W for Mississippi State. Four and three. Well, then we get Kentucky at our place. Now, you guys know I'm not a big fan of Kentucky, but I have to admit that Kentucky is better than I expected them to be. I still think we have a good chance to win that ball game. I think this is actually a pretty good matchup for us. I mentioned last week on the show we were previewing Florida, Kentucky. You know, and this is, again, one of those conversations you have with friends. You got to think, nobody, nobody in the SEC in Dan Mullen's tenure has seen his offense more than Mark Stoops of Kentucky. Nobody. Because he played them every year at Mississippi State because of the fact they were our permanent Eastern opponent. And then they play them every year because they're in the East. 
So they are the only team that has seen Dan Mullen's offense every year. So it's like you, be, you, know, you become familiar with it, and you, you know, kind of tried and tried, would try this and try that. You know, this is a guy that has historically kind of given Dan Mullen some trouble. So it's not a huge surprise. And I said, you know, don't be surprised if they're in the ballgame. I am surprised they won. But they did. Had the block, field goal, return for touchdown. I mean, you know, it's just some crazy things happen. And Dan's, Dan's in trouble. I mean, really, he's not in trouble losing his job. I think he's in trouble of, of really sliding there at Florida. You know, confidence in that administration is eroding in many respects. But I think we can win the game. I'm not ready to call it. But, yeah, I think that that's certainly a game we can win. You know, we talk about how many times we have struggled to win at their place in recent years, right? You know, they don't play well here. And, you know, Dan Mullen used to just beat them ungodly. Now, they're recruiting at a higher level, I think, you know, when Dan first got here. But, you know, kind of looking at these numbers here at the full games last, you know, uh, we beat them 28-13 back in 19. That's the Garrett Schrader game. Garrett's first SEC start makes a play to win the game late. 17, we beat them 45-7 at our place. We beat them in 15, 42-16. Beat them in 13, 28-22. That was a, a really tight ball game for us. Uh, we skipped a couple years. We go back to 2010. We beat them 24-17. So the last time that they beat us in Starkville was Sylvester Croom. You remember that? We missed an extra point and then missed a field goal late. It clanged off the upright. You remember that? So that's how long it's been since Kentucky has won in Starkville, if memory serves me correct. I'm looking at the list right here, and it looks to be absolutely correct. You know, we played them back-to-back years in Lexington, 11 and 12, and we won both. There was a time there we had what about a seven, eight-game winning streak against them. So Dan Mullen beat them from 2009 to 2015. Peter Sermon kind of ruined our, our streak there. When they will get over that bad case of sermonitis. But, you know, that's a game that, I, you know, listen, are they capable of beating us? Absolutely. But we should find a way to win that game. We didn't play well up there last year. KJ fell apart. We threw a bunch of interceptions, threw balls in the coverage. You know, but offensively, they did absolutely nothing against us. Nothing. We gave them the game. We did. We only scored two points. You don't think you don't think Mike Leach is ready to get those guys back on the field? You know he is. Then we got to go to Arkansas. You say, you know what, Steve? You know, we hadn't won up there a lot, but we have actually in recent years. We went, we went a long time without ever playing in Fayetteville. Played in Little Rock all the time. It took us forever to win in Arkansas. When we finally did, you know, Dak got hot up there. We put it together a pretty good stretch. Dak never lost to Arkansas. Remember that 2015 game up there was absolutely outstanding. And so I don't know how, if Arkansas is quite as good as we thought because when you look at their record now, you know, how good do those wins over Texas and Texas A&M really look? Those are the things that I look at. Is now that the season has kind of come more into focus, you kind of begin to ask yourself, okay, yeah, well, they beat Texas and they beat A&M. Yeah, but what does that mean now? What, I mean, what does it mean? Are they just a good team and then not a great team? Are a good team that kind of beat some mediocre teams? You know, I don't think we really know yet. But I don't think at any point you look at this thing and say, hey, that, that's a sheer loss. It's tough to go up there and play. But, you know, offensively they did some really good things early on. And then A&M kind of slowed them down a little bit. And then Georgia absolutely slowed them down. You had 38, 40, and 45 points in the first three games. You scored 20 against A&M. And we just played them. 
you know, they're, they're good defensively, but I wouldn't say they're on the level of Georgia or Alabama. They're good. And then they get shut out, uh, you know, by Georgia. And so it's like the more tape it's out there about what uh, Kendall Browse and those guys want to do on offense, the better it is for us. But, you know, I would, if I had to call it today, I'd probably call that one a loss just because of the fact it's difficult to go on the road and win. But at the same time, too, you know, maybe we learned a few things from this past weekend. Now, here's the one thing that I'll say I think is very, very important. This is a good matchup for us. And the reason it's a good matchup is Arkansas wants to run the football. They have a dual-threat quarterback, K.J. Jefferson. You, you take away his first read, put him in a decision-making process, you know, he'll give you the football some. And if you look at, you know, George and those guys really slowed him down. So if they want to come out and run the football, you know, I don't think they have a back that's nearly as good as Isaiah Spiller. I think this is, could be a very competitive ball game. I really do. I, I don't know that they're going to be able to score with the same proficiency against us they did early in the year. All right, then we got to go to Auburn. Always a tough place to play. I'm going to go ahead and tell you now, I don't expect to win that game. That's not to say they don't think we'll be competitive. We were competitive last year. You remember it was a one-score game, and then, uh, you know, Martin gets beat. You know, he's in press coverage. He's supposed to be in cloud, and the guy runs right by him, and they make a great throw, put the game away. And they dance in their locker room, and then Gus got fired anyway. But it's tough for us to go play over there. And so that's that's an interesting stretch. It's like and that's the thing, too. You win that game against Kentucky, kind of takes a little pressure off you as you get into those uh, those two road trips there. But, you know, it'd be nice to win one of the two. I actually think Arkansas is probably – more likely than Auburn. We, we have taken some good teams to Auburn and absolutely imploded. You know, and I'm not sure, you know, what they're going to have cooked up for, on offense by them. But, you know, Bo Nix is a guy, too, that I think is undervalued as a mobile quarterback. You can't get pressure on him. Now, you can force him into some bad throws, but he's so athletic you just can't get him on the ground. He's just one of those guys that can extend plays. And until we improve, you know, our pursuit angles as blitzers, he's a guy that kind of scares me a little bit. All right, Tennessee State, yeah, we're counting that as a W. And then Ole Miss, of course, coming to start. Well, that's a toss-up. I'm not scared of Ole Miss. I know many of you are. I'm not. We should have won the game last year. I think we're going to win it this year. I think we'll be ready to go. And I like the fact that we have Tennessee State the week before. So, hopefully, we can get a lead at the half. Let the kids play in the second half, kind of shut things down, be ready to roll uh, the rest of the season. So, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and say it right now. So, here's the deal. So, we're going to be 3-3, three and three, then we're going to beat Vanderbilt and be 4-3. and three. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say we beat Kentucky, 5-3. and three. Lose to Arkansas, lose to Auburn, which makes you 5-5. Five and five. You beat Tennessee State, 6-5, and five, and the Egg Bowl is basically playing for bowl positioning. That's how I see it today. I may see it differently later. That's how I see it today. So, in case you're wondering – you know, that's how we get to bow eligibility and have a little room to work with. Got to win all the games we're supposed to and win a toss-up or two. You know, we could conceivably, you know, find seven or eight, eight wins. I don't think that's out of their own possibility. But I don't want, it, you know, the exuberance of the weekend to kind of wash over what many of us, you know, expected and kind of hoped for, um, you know, this season. It's, it's easy because when we lose, things are never as bad as they seem. When we win, they're never as great as they seem. So I think it's good to have some balance. Yeah, we're going to probably drop a game we shouldn't. We're going to win one we shouldn't. You know, and that's the thing, that there's going to be up and down with some young teams, with some young players. But I think winning on the road at A&M gives you a lot more confidence that you can probably put some things together when you make those road trips to Vanderbilt 
and Arkansas and Auburn. And I think, I think there's a good chance you win two of those three. And, again, I'm picking Arkansas and Auburn as a loss right now. But, again, I think Arkansas is actually a good matchup for us. I, I really, really do. I think we can go up there. If we play within ourselves, we've got a chance to win that ball game. And so that could be the difference in seven wins or eight wins. But I think right now that all of us are confident that we are going to make a bowl game. And while six and six is not at all – I mentioned I thought that was the floor at the beginning of the year. A lot of people in the SEC media picked us to be four and eight and five and seven. Uh, so I just want to be able to beat expectations, get back to the bowl game, and then continue to build towards next year because I really believe we're going to have a really good team uh, next year in 2022. I think we have a chance to get back to the Florida Bowl and, again, start seeing this thing kind of take shape for us as we begin to move forward kind of with life. All right, final segment of the show brought to you by Portico. That's right, your good friend Brooks Bryan, part of a great group that's bringing this great residential development to Starkville just right outside of campus. 1.1 miles from campus, right there near all the fun, but away from all the hustle and bustle. It's on the backside of campus, very, very easy to find. Uh, Listen, if you were looking to move now, it's too late. Phase one, completely sold out. And congratulations to Brooks and the group there uh, for getting that done. So Phase two, if you're still looking to move in there, three of those lots have already been purchased. And the best thing about that is, too, you can purchase your lot and then pick out the floor plan for your new home as they begin to construct. You don't have to wait for these things to be constructed. You can say, hey, look, this is our lot. We want a four-bedroom, and this is how we want it to lay out. And so all that's done, and Brooks can answer all your questions. It's very easy to get to. You turn off of 82 onto 12, like going to campus. Your very first ride is Pat Station Road, which will take you across Old West Point Road. Boom, there you are, Portico. Easy to find. You need to have a little urgency, though. Okay, this is not going to last forever. It's absolutely not. And so it's important that you guys kind of – you've seen this place grow up, right? I mean, we've been with Portico now for the better part of a year. And we're like, hey, we got a couple houses sold. Well, now Phase one's completely sold, right? So people are listening. People are buying. You need to do the same thing. Too. You deserve new construction. You do. You, you've worked hard all your life. Give Brooks a call. Let him make your dream of moving to Starkville a reality. And whether it be one of these deals, too, where it's an investment property or perhaps it is uh, your primary residence, we'd love to have you here as our neighbors. Uh, Brooks has got a plan for everybody. Give Brooks a call today. My friend, your friend, Brooks Bryan, 601 416 Again, that's 601 416 8075 even has some uh, great Mississippi State baseball stories he'll share with you. That's uh, Brooks Bryan with Portico. Make Portico your next move. I want to talk a little bit today about some Bulldog history. You know, I've written a couple books, you know, about the Mississippi State Ole Miss rivalry. And one of the guys that is uh, rather interesting that uh, actually made the move to Mississippi State uh, after being – after being in uh, Army, he coached Army for three years, 1930, 31, 32. And we're talking, uh, in case you don't know, we're talking Major Raf Sassy. So 1930 to 32, he goes 9-1-1, 8-2-1, 8-2, 25-5-2 record. And then didn't coach for a while, right? Didn't coach for a while. Begins to coach again at Mississippi State. Shows up immediately in 35. We go 8-3. and 7-3-1 three. Three and in 36. We play in the Orange Bowl. We lose, but we go to the Orange Bowl. And in 37, we go 5-4-1. and one. And so they say that he had – there's a lot of rumors out there about what happened. 
but here's the deal. He, um, he's the guy that really pushed for us to have like an actual bulldog. Like Mississippi State had kind of had a bulldog as an unofficial mascot for centuries. And so he's the guy that said, hey, I, you know, I want this bulldog on the sidelines. And so he was beyond, behind every bit of that. And then we ended up actually uh, a little bit later having like an official bully. You know what I'm saying? Like there was one that was like purchased by the university. It wasn't a borrowed dog or whatever. But he was the guy to kind of put that together. He was also a war hero, which is so incredibly interesting. He's a Delaware native and um, graduated from West Point, was assigned to the Cavalry, was in the U.S. Army in World War I, became a major, and then commanded the 301st Tank Battalion. Then he went back to Army and taught math, became football coach, and then joined the Mississippi State staff and also was a science instructor in addition to coaching the Maroons back in those days. After three seasons, just out of the blue, he resigned. They said he had a nervous breakdown, the stress of uh, coaching and everything, a little bit too much for him. And, uh, you know, I've heard some people that have said, you know, they, you know, that it's a really sad story in many respects. I want to read to you guys the actual news article from when he left, from the Associated Press. And we were called State College Mississippi back then. Wouldn't start, State College. Lieutenant Colonel Raf Sassy, who built up a highly rated football team at Mississippi State College, is confi- was confined to his home suffering from a nervous breakdown. Acting on the advice of his physician, Dr. J.W. Eckford, Colonel Sassy resigned yesterday as head coach at State College, but retained his position as head of the ROTC. Sassy was advised that his condition would not permit him to resume coaching this season, but Dr. Eckford said the famous Army man might be sufficiently improved to resume his other duties later. He never did. The football squad and the college student body were temporarily stunned by the sudden collapse. It's crazy. Absolutely crazy to think about that. All right, a little bit more here. Um, Sassy was showered today with testimonials of sympathy and well wishes for his speedy recovery. Uh, and so it's uh, you have a war hero coming here and kind of turns things around and then kind of makes an imprint on the Mississippi State you know, football experience, and then he's gone. And, uh, again, it's, it's pretty crazy to think about you know, how accomplished a guy like him was, and then uh, he comes here. And uh, I have not found any record of him coaching after that. After that. Now, he went to uh, Pennsylvania Military College after that, but um, was the athletic director there, but never really did, you know, any on-the-field coaching that I'm aware of since then. I did some research, of course, and I was writing about him uh, in the books. But um, he died in 1954 at age 65 in Rayabeth Beach, Delaware, which is, you know, not too far from Wilmington. That was his place of birth. But this is a guy, too, you know, obviously because we were an A&M school, right? It made sense that you'd have a military man here, uh, not just to run the ROTC, but the football program. But, you know, three seasons, all of them winning seasons for the uh, Mississippi State Maroons. It's so interesting, too. A lot of people have said that we wish we'd go back to the nickname. I- I'm a Bulldogs guy all the way, 100%. But, uh, you know, kind of running through some of these things here, you're looking at these, you know, the list of coaches, you know, with uh, Mississippi State. You know, we hadn't had a lot of guys that, that weren't fired. I mean, there's very few. I mean, we've had some other guys like Daryl Royal and, um, you know, Murray Walmoth and Dan Mullen that have left us 
you know, for other jobs. But um, this is one that wasn't fired. It was successful and then still, you know, left the program. It's, uh, it's very disappointing in many respects. You know, it's one of those things you look at and you begin to think, you know, how crazy is it that you have a winning coach and then he all of a sudden has these, uh, these medical and mental issues and you end up having to see him retire. And uh, if memory serves me correct, we played the last two games without him and then we won them, you know, kind of in his honor. The troops kind of rallied around that. Uh, Spike Nelson came in, you know, the next year and uh, we go four and six. And then Alan McKean comes in and uh, ushers in a new era of Mississippi State football. But, uh, you know, it's just kind of crazy how life works. But, uh, you know, some would say, you know, that, that's a very Mississippi State story. You know, it is. But, uh, you know, Major Sassy, you know, thanks to your family and your contributions to Mississippi State football, you gave us some good years. Wish it would have ended better for all involved. But uh, I think it's important that we go back and recognize these folks and uh, kind of remember where we've come from. You know, it's like – one of the things I've learned about life, it's not always where you're going, it's where you're coming from, right? And for us, we've been coming from a lot farther back than many other people have. And so I want to share that with you, too, because uh, you know, as great as we've been in baseball all the years, you know, we've always had great tradition, hadn't always been the case in football. And uh, one of the things I learned talking to Coach Bob Tyler and some of our older players is that, you know, we didn't really get serious about, you know, physical conditioning, that sort of stuff, until Bob Tyler got here. You know, there were a lot of people that didn't even lift weights in the offseason. They rested. That was was kind of the belief of the day is, you know, you kind of worked on your own. But uh, I guess your your head coaches at Mississippi State back then, you know, they didn't just coach football. They coached everything. And so I think it's important to kind of understand that uh, it was a different day and time, but we did have some people that did have some sustained success. And, unfortunately, they just didn't hang around long enough for us. Well, that's going to do it for today, a little bit shorter show today. It is a bye week, of course, not quite as much to talk about. We have had no media opportunities this week. I believe we'll have one tomorrow. And then Friday we'll sit down we'll talk about that and also, too, kind of preview the SEC weekend to come. If you haven't done so, go to dogpilethebook.com. That's D-A-W-G-P-I-L-E, thebook.com, and pre-order your copies of Dogpile to ensure that you get a book. If you pre-order, you're definitely going to get a book. Limited supplies between now and Christmas. Still waiting for a release date, but the book is at the printer, getting everything done, getting finished up. And uh, I'll have the date for you as soon as we can. I'm eager. Guys, I get the post-book blues really, really bad. Like when I'm working on stuff, I'm all excited. And then when I get done with it, I'm just so ready for you guys to have it. You know, and so it's uh, it, I, I'm ready to get out on the road and do some book signings and kind of meet you and see your smiling faces. We're going to do some baseball signings this year. You know, we hadn't done that in the past, but we're going to do – some game day signings. So if you guys are coming to town and you got a book or you want to buy a book, you can kind of do that then. And so I'll have those. We'll announce those uh, as we get into baseball season. While you're there, you can pick up personalized copies of Flim Flam, Alpha Dogs, and Stark Villains. If you're looking for Blooms of Oleander, and many of you are because I still get messages every week on where to find it, you can order it through your local bookstore or to Amazon.com booksandmegan.com or Barnes & Noble. Appreciate all of your support. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we'll make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live.